It's time to wake up to Tequila Sunrise. Greg White here, and I have spent my career starting, leading, deploying, and investing in supply chain tech. So we take a shot and talk founders, execs, investors, and companies in this hot industry. If you want a taste of how tech startup growth and investment is done, join me for another blinding Tequila Sunrise. Welcome to another Tequila Sunrise live stream. This is two within seven days. Again, Scott has made the mistake of giving me the mic. Greg White, I'm here, and I've spent my career in supply chain tech and as a pr practitioner of supply chain. So what we do on this show is we highlight the people and the companies that are changing supply chain, changing technology, and in this case, changing and strongly impacting the world. If you know me, you know I've coined this phrase, give forward, where giving is a first principle of so many companies, where it is the business model of these companies, and these companies give as part of their model. They don't give back. They give first and give forward. So today we're going to talk about tech for good with a, an initiative with a very prominent speaker. I'm holding back the name like Scott taught me. Uh, who's driving good things and good scalable actions around the world that tech can enable. Uh, it's a fantastic initiative, and you may may or may not know her, but this is really a call to action on how technology can improve our world on a global scale. So before we jump into that, a quick programming note. If you enjoy this live stream, you're probably crazy, but if you do, thank you. And I want you to be sure to be able to get connected with all of our other shows on Supply Chain Now. You can, of course, subscribe to Tequila Sunrise wherever you get your podcasts from, or subscribe to our YouTube channel, or subscribe to any Supply Chain Now shows at supplychainnow.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. All right. So, I'm going to give it up a little bit here. My inspiration and guest today is Dr. Sally Eves. She is a strategy and policy advisor. She has so many jobs, it's hard to list them all, but to a number of organizations. And she's a brilliant mind, CEO and founder of Aspirational Futures. She's one of the top minds in blockchain, AI, IoT, machine learning, plus co-founder and irresistible force behind the philanthropic giving of technology and among her other roles and accolades, which I haven't even begun to list, in the last year, she was recognized by the United Nations with the United Nations Inaugural Founder Award and IT Woman of the Year in the, their Business Role Model Awards. So let's meet her. Whoa. Let's let's even this up a little bit. There we go. Perfect. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Greg. Thank you so much. And thank you for that lovely introduction. It's super kind of you. Thank you very much. My pleasure, man. It, it's tough to sneak into so little time. You do so much and you're engaged with so many organizations. What we're going to talk about today is everything you're doing, how many philanthropic initiatives and, and give forward initiatives you're involved in and talk about how tech can truly improve lives, right? I, I hear pitches all the time. I'm sure you talk to companies all the time where they say, we want to change the world or we want to change people's lives. But you really are focusing on tangible ways that tech can do it. So let's jump into that. Your TED Talk, which, by the way, I would encourage people to go take a look at and a listen to, is really inspirational. You're, first of all, you're very engaging talented speaker. And I, I think it's it was fun to watch as well. I Although, as you that. said, they can find you that tiny circle. So did that <laughs> make did. it hard? I, it made it hard. Yeah, because I, I, you know, I, I'm a very passionate person. And this is my passion subject. And I just kind of live and breathe it. And I want to get my heart walking around on the stage, if you see what I mean. So to be confined to that tiny little red circle was the hardest thing about the whole speech, to be completely honest with you. Absolutely. I wanted to kind of get out and about and uh, touch and feel. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard the term peripatetic? Do you know what that I have, yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's you, isn't it? It is. Yeah, that's, that's discoursing while pacing, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Someone ties your hands down, which fortunately they didn't. If they tied your hands down and made you stand in a tiny circle, I fear you wouldn't be able to speak. 
it, I would be stuck, wouldn't I? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, lo I love the energy, and I think I like to think it's contagious when you when you really genuinely care about something, and uh, hopefully it can help other people to be curious and interested and and get involved and be confident to do so as well. So yeah. It, it really came through in your discussion. So uh, again, I'll encourage folks to do that. Let's learn a little bit about you so I don't do all the talking. Otherwise, I probably will. <laughs> so first of all, tell us a little bit about where you're from and maybe how you got into tech to begin with. Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm based in Oxford, UK. And for me, I think probably my earliest memories that are tech orientated with my dad, actually, who um, was a big influence. And unfortunately, I lost him very young. So I think that was part of it, because one of my fondest memories was kind of taking stuff apart with him, if you know what I mean. I've yeah. always been really super curious about how things work and I like to take things apart and put them back together again. So I think that's where my interest in tech came from. It was that curiosity. And can you build something different? And can you be pragmatic and use the tools at hand to make something new? So I've always had that drive. But, but I think interestingly as well, I've always been really interested in like arts and creativity. So I, I play a lot of music. I absolutely love that. And I, I, I learned languages, for example, as of my earlier qualifications. So I've always had that kind of mixture between technology, but creativity alongside it. So I think that's where my love for all things Steam's come from. It's kind of fusing these different elements together and not treating them separately. I've got to explore that because I have this philosophy. I'd love for you to confirm or refute. And I, I am fully convinced that you are born an engineer if you're that kid that takes apart your toys, it just feels like you ought to be an engineer. Did you feel, I mean... I, I did feel like that, absolutely. But also just that imagination side as well. So it was that element of, can I build something completely different? So I don't want yeah. to remake it exactly as it was. Can I put different bits together and kind of make a collage out of it, if you see what I mean? So I had kind of these two different drivers in my head and fusing them together was a great way of doing it. So I, I think that's why I always talk about kind of creative imagination. And, you know, when we look to the future about what we can build with tech, let's do something really, you know, let's really push those boundaries out. So I think if you bring those two elements together, that's really exciting. So music and engineering or music and tech tend to have a lot of alignment as well. I've seen that over and over again. So you have to share with us what is your instrument of choice? Uh, guitar is my instrument of choice. And I've promised, so South by Southwest is one of my favorite events. Oh, yeah. Because again, it's that fusion, isn't it, between arts and media and technology, etc. Yeah. So I've promised to good friends of mine in, in, in the States that when that happens for next year, I will bring my guitar on the plane and I'm going to take it and I'm going to go on stage and do one of the events and things like that. So really? in public as well. So there you go. I'm going to have to keep to that now. Aren't I? So there you go. Yeah, I love it. I really love, I can't sing for toffee, but I do love playing. <laughs> And uh, yeah, piano and keyboards as well as the other thing. But guitar wow. is my, my love, I would say. Yeah. Outstanding. So <laughs> what do you have a particular genre that you like to play? This is me all over. I would say hi it's very hybrid. You know, it depends on, I think the beauty of music is there's something to, to lift every occasion, isn't there? So, you yeah. know, for a keynote, I'll have something that's incredibly upbeat and really, you know, go for the energy and things. But sometimes I do a lot of writing. And so I might have something classical. It helps you reflect, if you know what I mean. And it's very peaceful yeah. and calming. So, yeah, I, um, it's holistic but integrated. So I pretty much like all genres, to be honest with you. Have you ever composed your own walkout music for when you give a speaking engagement? I, ha I have. That's a, that's a really good one. I like that. I like that. I, will give right? that again. I love that. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a top suggestion. I'll, I'll, I'll have to bring that on board. Yeah. What could be more personal than that, than your own walkout music? I, really I can see that. Ozzy Osbourne being very appropriate, but you know you could probably come up with something that's a little more personal. I, I would give it a go, absolutely, absolutely. I think I had the final countdown was when I went on for that TEDx tour. They, they put that on there for me. Was, was Is that right? Funny. Yeah, with like the whole countdown clock and all the rest of it, which was quite fun. But I will give that a go. I really love that as a top suggestion. Properly personalized. I love it. So when did you stop breaking your toys? and shift into kind of studying tech? I mean, was it in university or was it before that or anything that you and your dad did together? I, th I think one of the things, because I, I thought I lost him when I, when I was nine, but ah. after that I got involved in quite a lot of community projects. And so one of the things I did was I started like a Sunday club where you could go and like meet with other people. And so we, we basically got like a local council on board because partly through the school and other things as well, we got them to donate kit. There's things that weren't being used anymore, and we got local businesses involved. And we there was a there was something that happened in the world at that time where there was a there was a big disaster, basically a massive earthquake that caused a lot of damage. And we created these boxes that could be shipped out and sent to places. So it all stemmed from that, and it was kind of like we can do this. We can get people involved. 
And that's the first time I use like different types of media and things to try and outreach to people and get them really excited about, you know, how can you do something and make a difference and contribute to that? So it started from there. But this Sunday club was where it kind of started off from in terms of bringing local people together and you know, trying stuff and not just doing technology, but a place where you could do like robotics and, and art and other things as well. And it's a safe place to learn, basically, and things you might not have in your own home. So it's kind of kind of democratize that access to these different types of activities and experiences. Wow. Very cool. So, now, yeah. how old were you when you got into that? I would say about 14 when that started off. Yeah, in earnest, I, I did quite a lot of wow. stuff before that, but properly like on a regular weekly basis from the age of 14, yeah. Wow, very cool. So all of this has been kind of an inspiration for your STEAM initiative. I'd love for you to describe that for folks and your Tech for Good initiative. So tell us how all of that tied in and kind of led to what you're doing today. No, I, I, absolutely. And I think so with, with the initiative I was going to talk about, probably the most would be aspirational futures. So and that is bringing together quite a number of different projects in different countries. So as well as doing a lot of work in the UK, I've done a lot in the US, but also like India and Mexico and Africa and things like that as well. And rather than having separate projects in se separate places, kind of taking all that learning together and putting them one to one umbrella. And, and with aspirational futures, kind of we've got three main pillars. So one is STEAM learning, so arts on an equal stage to science, technology, engineering, and maths. The second pillar is, is tech for good, as you might imagine. Uh, mm -hmm. And the third one is sustainable impact. And what we do is we create, we create courses, we create learning opportunities, and we actually build physical hubs where people can go and learn and have different kind of zones of space. So there's like places to socialize, there's places to create, and it's all meant to be around learning, but also unlearning. And we work with primary schools, secondary schools, but also older adults as well, which I think is particularly relevant at the moment. You know, coming out of the pandemic, there's a real need for reskilling and upskilling, kind of giving skills confidence alongside that as well for that continual learning for life. So yeah, it's digital. Obviously at the moment, everything's been digital for the last year or so, but alongside right. that, we've actually got physical places where people can go and learn. It's incredibly accepting and warm and encouraging. And that it's kind of that whole agile learning and learning by making mistakes as well, frankly, is that very much approach to experimentation, to play, kind of making learning fun as well. You know, I think that's massively important and underrated sometimes. Yeah, and I think that's a great outlet for people. And as you said, it's very inclusive. It brings all generations together, all sort Absolutely. of areas of the world and lifestyles and whatnot together. So you facilitated this mostly digitally lately, right? How has that yes. worked out? I'm curious how that's. Yeah, no, that's been incredibly interesting. And um, because we're li literally launching a brand new UK like lead hub one week before the pandemic lockdown. So you can imagine the transition period for, for not being able to then use that oh um, and then go completely online. So yeah, it's certainly been really interesting. I think one of the things to bring to the fore was we were doing a big um, initiative around role models and experimental learning. And obviously it's harder to do hands-on learning online for certain types of subjects. So it's a lot of creativity, a lot of pragmatism into making that happen. But it's been really, really successful. And I think the other thing that's been really interesting is that maybe people who wouldn't have seen it beforehand have been able to access as well. So again, the whole thing about democratizing access, actually, in some ways, it means taking around geographical barriers for certain hubs, for example, right. by having that online offer. So I think that's been really interesting. And I think going forward, there's so much to take from that that will improve all the digital experience going forward. Same things we've all had with events and things as well and bringing them all together. So I think one example will be hackathons. Um, so normally I've done those in person over like a 24 hour, like a weekend, for example. So, so we had one um, kind of like January before the pandemic, which was called Hack Your City, um, which sounds slightly strange, but it's hacking in the sense of understanding. <laughs> hacking with a white hat on, yeah, correct? Yeah, absolutely. ethical hacking, everybody who's watching. Yeah, it's, it's all good stuff. But, but the real meaning of that word to hack is kind of understanding it and taking it apart. It's, that's where the, where, where the word actually comes from. And what we did was we invited people from the local city to kind of how, how do they what do they see as their city's future? What do they think the problems are? What are the challenges? And we had people we couldn't go any younger than 13 because of health and safety at the particular setting. Um, but we had 13 year olds up to a 93 year old lady who came in. Wow. Over this weekend. It was awesome. And so you had people, because I think sometimes with hackathons, uh, there's an assumption that maybe you have to be a coder, for example. And the whole point of this was like, no, no, take down these barriers. Everyone has a skill set to offer. And you think of the experience of that lady who's lived in that city for all that period of time. Right. It was incredible. And it's like, you know, get reverse mentoring going on and all sorts of different things. So we had 
teams that kind of naturally formed over that weekend. Each team formed their own challenge. We supported it with mentoring, with technology, and we had experts coming in around certain subjects areas. And at the end, there was a project and each team had the ability to carry it through for a year with mentoring. So everybody, like they voted for a winning project as well, but there wasn't just one winner. Everyone had the tools and opportunity to carry on and make bring that project to fruition. So I love doing things like that. And we've formed virtual versions of this as well. So we've had 24 online hackathons where we've just pivoted that. And typically we relate it to like an SDG project, like sustainable development goals. So something around climate action is the most recent one as well. And it's great. And you get lots of different people involved and it's really inspiring. And you have that carry through. So it doesn't just end at the 24 hours or the 48 hours. It genuinely carries through and you keep that learning going. I think that's the beauty of that approach. It's, it's beautiful. So some people, I mean, may have just been doing ideation. Hey, here's what I think we need to solve. And there may have been a technology or even a physical component to that or even just what process or communication that could have been the solution. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you also see crossover between teams as well and bringing those, you know, sometimes it's a case of collaboration. There can be two teams that are doing amazing things, got great ideas, but actually the fit is the fit would be better if they brought those 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 talents and interests together. So we do a lot of matchmaking around projects and things like that as well, but really involving the local community. So it's very co-creative and we're bringing those different elements together. So, yeah, it's been exciting to see those projects grow and not just the projects, but the people that confidence boost around skills and not just the technical ones, but communication skills, that emotional intelligence, et cetera. It's been awesome. It's been really, really good. So I just want to highlight this. This is uh, Big Show Bob, as we call him, uh, Bob Bova, who's the CEO of AccuSpeech. It's not just the taking it apart. It's the putting it to ba back together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and forming and, new things with it, as I, as, right. I was, as I was saying. Absolutely. Being pragmatic and creating something anew. Brilliant. Yeah. I love that. So tell me, uh, of all these initiatives, tell me a little bit about what's the end game? What's the goal that you're hoping to accomplish? What's the big why for for these initiatives? Yeah, well, one of them most definitely is around skills gaps and skills confidence. So as an example, around so taking the traditional STEM view for, for a second, because most of the stats are around that at the moment rather than, rather than STEAM, but there's a big drop off, for example, in girls taking STEM related subjects at GCSE. So from a UK point of view, like age 14 to 16, A-level 16 to 18, but then also when these subjects are taken at university level, um, then actually applying them in your future career. So there's three big key drop-offs there. So part mm. of it is trying to change the narrative and stop that drop-off from happening. Um, so that's one key point. Um, also, there, there are things around like data waste, for example. At the moment, you know, if you think about the huge volume of data that we're all creating, and it's just going to get bigger and right. bigger with 5G coming, coming on board. At the moment, around 90% of data that's archived isn't touched again after three months. Um, so one of the things we're doing is we're repurposing it safely and securely um, and with the right consent, et cetera, but putting that in as a training program to address that. And there's also particular skills gaps in cybersecurity and AI, and not just about um, women in tech, but more broadly, a lack of diversity of experience in tech. So we're trying to tackle that head, head, you know, head on um, and do that from an early and early in age, because if you've got those drop offs at basically secondary school from a UK point of view, we need to come in earlier and earlier. So I think visibility of role models is important, but democratizing access to education offers and these hands on experiences it's this combination of factors I think is so, so important. Um, and I think as we go forward, you know, there, there's been that expression, hasn't there, about learning for life. Um, yeah. And I think lifelong learning has never mattered more than it has at the moment. You know, we've got a situation globally, which is full of uncertainty, isn't it? It's very ambiguous. Um, sometimes it's quite complex. We don't know what's happening next. And I think it's to help prepare people to have more confidence that maybe this is, you know, we are we have got a, a perennial situation where things are going to change quite quickly. And we can't be sure what's next. But if we can give people a toolbox of different types of skills to dip into and to be more comfortable with that continual rate of change, I think that will be really helpful too. So that's one of the aspects most definitely, but in particular around sustainability and scaling out tech for good projects. So again, you know, in your local city, there can be a project going on. You don't know anything about it. There can be two projects going on. They're actually duplicating effort. So we do a lot of work around that as well, that matching process. Um, so if, yeah, for us at the moment, the biggest thing is all about scale. Um, so putting together the learnings of the project we've done in India, Mexico and Africa in particular, and then obviously UK and US, um, and pulling them and really scaling out these physical hubs and the virtual ones alongside them. So yes, yeah, big, big integration year 2021. 
I, I think, you know, we are so aware, we're inundated with data as human beings, and we're not really built to process it. And we are so aware of so many things. I, I think transparency is a fantastic thing, but I think it's also burdensome because now everything, it seems like everything gets reported and it be, becomes a crush, I think, emotionally for a lot of people. And it becomes hard to deal with. It's harder to it's harder for people to define that sphere of influence, which is really all you can really worry about. Really, the sphere of control is all you can you should really worry about. But I think now everything appears to be in that sphere. And, you know, this exposure to all of the available data, all of the available ways to solve and attack problems, I think, is so p powerful, not only from enabling people, but from, you know, emotionally settling people to give them some sense that they don't have to try to solve or attack everything, or that there are some things that are out there that are we're aware of that aren't necessarily going to impact us or, you know, we shouldn't worry too much about. So that statistic about data is stunning, frankly. You said what portion of it is not touched 90, again after 90 days? percent of archived data isn't touched again after three months. So if you think about that data acceleration and then, you know, like IoT devices are going to double by 2025 on most estimates. So if you think of this continually accumulation, we need to right. look at what we can do with data reuse and data repurposing. I think that's hugely important. But also just touching what you were saying there as well about almost like this overload and being able to filter, et cetera, as well. I think one of the things, and again, we do this with one of the courses we've developed is around like smart thinking. So there's so much talk about smart tech, isn't there? which is fantastic and obviously I, I i love smart tech and, and tech integration but i think we need to help people with kind of smarter thinking for want of a better way of putting it so there's things like meta cognition which is kind of like a, a gym like going to the gym but for your head <laughs> for, your, for, your, for your brain um and it helps you to identify like what learning styles work best for you so going back right. to you know what you were saying about that tedx talk and me being quite kind of kinetic and and uh um, energetic and things quite a lot of people are tactile learners and they, they feed off that energy etc other people are more linear and you want to read a long you know really read a long document and see every bit of detail um, same thing with kind of social media as well isn't there there's something for everyone we all consume content in different ways and I think we need to help people process that from a learning point of view as well so they can find the right fit for them and also to to feel confident that there's not just one right answer to be able to learn it's not a linear process necessarily we can come to careers from different routes and different angles but um, there's different learning styles that might work for you and help you to, to guide you through this process and help to facilitate that I think is hugely important as well and that all these routes matter and they're equally valid. That There's something um, in the UK called the Asian Apprenticeship Awards, of which I've been a judge for, for, for quite, a, quite a few years. And it's amazing. And the, re the kind of premise behind that was the fact that certainly in the UK, there was a differentiation and it was felt more traditionally that an apprenticeship wasn't valued as equally as a degree. And so that award was was cultivated to kind of redress mm. that balance and showcase things. And so it's just, I think all these different things are so, so important to increase visibility, increase confidence, and to show that there's no white one right answer. It's kind of making it more personalized and spoke to you, your aspirations, what you want to do and how to help you get there. You know, I think that's a really, that last example is a really good example because I think we're starting to see that. I mean, even before this seismic societal disruption, we we had it, at least in the States, we had this huge thing we called the skills gap, right? Yes. Millions and millions of jobs going unfulfilled that were paying multiples of a college, of a job you get a college degree for, right? Plumbers making $150,000 a year and things like that. And we've had this somewhat of an initiative to introduce people to these alternatives. And I think Absolutely. As you've addressed earlier as well, you can come from any background, any nation, any culture, any lifestyle preference, any race, creed, color, whatever you want to call it, and, and contribute to a solution. And frankly, solutions are better formulated when you have those levels of diversity. If you have someone from Africa looking at it with someone from South America, the States and, and Europe, then you get a ton of point of views that are so valuable. You know, we have, I'm thinking on a particular experience, I won't name the person, but Scott, who's in the comments will know immediately. We often have what, what I call violent agreement in our organization, where we both come at the same problem a different way. And, and 
even though we're both very conscious of our varying points of view, we have we tend to kind of butt heads at it at first and then realize that what we're having is a violent agreement. We both agree on this point. We're just coming at it from different perspectives. And uh, I think that's a really valuable thing. And frankly, especially in the States, I can't say that it's the same in the world. It's it's necessary for us to recognize that you can disagree and commit to the, to the same solution, right? Absolutely. It's kind of like that, that process of creative destruction in a way, isn't it? And then you yeah. come out of it and it catalyzes something completely new. I, I think that's so important. And I think, you know, all the research around teams, everything shows that teams that are based from that diversity of experience are more creative. Everybody's more satisfied. It's more productive on every level going. It's a great spur for innovation. And things like you know, AI bias, for example, as well. I think again, AI development is one of the areas where there's a big skills gap. Right. Teams that are more diversely um, orientated. Um, again, it helps the risk of like negated um, risk for implicit bias, as an example. So something's completely unintended. If you've got that right. diversity of skill sets coming into it and diversity of experiences, you can pick up things that may never otherwise have been looked at. So hugely important. Hugely important. Yeah, AI is a good example because if you only ever show AI men's shoes, it only recognizes men's shoes as shoes. Exactly. Right. And we've tried to supplement that with synthetic data and synthetic data has not mm. been a complete solution as well. So we need to have a more conscious, objective, non-biased approach where humans still engage in that. And those that multitude of perspectives I've seen anyway, I've seen that be much, much more effective than even synthetic data in, in teaching AI. So absolutely. Yes. Hugely important. And also looking at issues around baked in bias as well. And interestingly, and, and another number that always stays in my head is there's roughly 180 human biases as well. So again, when we look- I'm going to start it, counting, Sally. Yeah, I know. 180. It's incredible. It sounds like dark, doesn't it? But um, if, if we're going to look at um, like data as well, we, need, we also need to look at it from that perspective. So we can have historical data sets that are being used for a long period of time. And we need to look at that aspect of this as too, as part, as part of the equation. And I think sometimes we don't talk about that aspect as well. So it's from both angles um, to, get, to get these issues of bias addressed. So- you approach all of these things very matter-of-factly and not as necessarily, I mean, you don't speak of them as necessarily things to fight against or, but simply to overcome, right? Simply to, yes. pro I believe this is my perspective on your perspective is simply to eliminate it in your thought process. I, I think at a very young age, we are, we're influenced by what's assumed about what we do. For instance, and I just wrote in a really mini post, I have three daughters and, you know, we never said you can do anything even though you're a girl or you can do anything a man can do or as a woman, you can do anything. We just said you can do anything. We never qualified it. And I think if you take the approach that you're taking where you don't qualify this, it doesn't matter. You, you don't have to be against something to change things. You, you just have to be matter of fact, and I think presumptive about the way you want the world to be. And it sounds to me like that's a very big part of your approach. Is that a fair estimation? Yeah, I think that is a fair, fair, fair way of, of describing it as well. And also, I think, you know, to, to make change happen, being positive and bringing people with you to make that change happen, rather than saying, hey, this is wrong, you've done the... I think there's a far better way of going going about that, you know, and I think that the AI side of things as well is a really interesting point. So prior to the pandemic, I think every headline, well, not every, but many headlines use really scary words. So adjectives like yeah. destruction, elimination, you know, I was part of a big research report and it was a really, you know, like many universities coming together, a lot of practitioners as well. So I love that. You've got both both kind of sides coming together um, to look at the future of work. And in one of these, these reports, it's kind of like one subsection of one paragraph there was talk about a particular job role being more adversely affected by AI. Every kind of headline picked up on that one paragraph rather than kind of the overall perspective. If yeah. you see what I mean. So I've always tried to, you know, really fairly address the balance. And there are issues we need to look at. And it's really important to raise those because then we can do something about it. But it needs to be done in a balanced way because there's also a lot of areas where AI can be a huge democratizer. There's so many examples of AI for good projects, for example, um, and it can free our time up to do other things that can be really positive. So it's trying to give that balance. Yeah, I like I think I think there is a good place for AI and even robotics, of course. But I think we have to think about it 
more from what it is than what we've seen in the movies, right? AI oh, is it's yeah. not it's not a digital overlord. It's a digital child, and that digital child needs to be taught and parented like a child needs to be taught and parented. That if if they see mom has shoes and dad has shoes, yeah. they know that shoes are for moms and dads, right? So Absolutely. I think they, I'm talking about it like it's a person. But I, I really do think, I, and I really completely agree with what you're saying. I think we need to be, we need to be very intentional about how we teach. And we also need to recognize, look, this is a difficult time for media in the world. Traditional media is unquestionably dying and they have to be hyperbolic in order to get people to click or, or watch or listen because that's, they have to survive on ad dollars and those listen things are what bring them ad dollars. So um, my parents were a little bit different than, than yours, hippies. So they made the mistake of of first saying question authority, and and now I mean it. You know, if there's nothing more authoritative or authoritarian than media right now, and what Absolutely. how they're trying to influence us in order again, follow the dollars. Another, follow the money. Right, that's the other phrase from their time period. But we have to recognize that. And and the other thing that I think that you're doing that is so encouraging is you are getting actual people together, either virtually or physically, because I think when you experience people rather than experience perspectives in writing or certainly in media, you experience a completely different world than is represented. I can't tell you, and I hope, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but I can't tell you the number of times I have sat down or talked to somebody virtually and they said, you know, this world isn't nearly as divided or divisive as it's represented. Do you experience that in very, very much so. And I actually think over so a couple of quick points in terms of um, kind of media stories and things. One thing I'd love to say, actually, is I also think the stories are incredibly positive that are sharing around us coming together. Your point there yeah. around community. I think they're resonating more and more with people because I, I think over the pandemic, people have had time to reflect. You're looking at where things are coming from. You're seeing the essence of community tech as being that conduit to bring us all together. Yes. I think it's helping to address that balance. And we want to hear more positive news, frank, frankly, and mm -hmm. inspiring us and bringing us together. So I think there's starting to be a change there. And I'm really excited by, by some changes I've seen in terms of narrative. So yeah. I think that's a really positive step forward. Um, but yeah, ab absolutely. I think one example, like organisations coming together over the pandemic, things like the HPC Consortium would be a great one. So, you know, normally like 11 probably biggest tech companies in the world near, near or nearabouts. Um, normally would be competitive. But in this area, they came together. Not only that, they partnered with leading research institutes, but also individual researchers as well. And you've got governments, et cetera, on board as well. So it's this co-creation across different entities, collaborating. And in this area, this was around high-performance computing. So it's the data mining, effectively, to accelerate drug research around COVID-19. But things that would normally have taken, say, 18 months, Right. In, uh, you know, eight to 10 weeks to get to a certain point. It's incredible the amount that was done. And so that collaborative ethos, that coming together, cooperation rather than competition. I think there's going to be some really positive legacies from this because I think that, that thing around collaboration will become more and more important as we look ahead. So I'm excited about where that's heading. Yeah. Coopetition is a term that we've heard quite a bit lately, right? Absolutely. Um, open data um, was really important around a lot of the work that's been done as well. Yeah. And I think the world is a lot easier to discover because some of that these days, like you were alluding to in terms of some of those stories, it's a lot easier to vet a story yourself. You don't have to rely on fact checkers. You yes. can fact check for yourself. And I agree. I think because of that, people are more aware of, as you said, where the story is coming from. And with that transparency, they're more able to vet that story. And that has led to more accurate, which I think are generally more uplifting stories because bias and hyperbole in the media, that's not a new thing. I mean, we learned about that in school, yellow journalism, right? The yes. idea of creating, but I agree. I think as people recognize that they're going to demand more accurate. And I, because I think we agree that we experience the world in a more positive way than it's often represented in print. I think we'll see so much more of that Absolutely. as people demand that greater accuracy in some of these discussions. You can't pluck adversely affected out, you know, two words out of a 2000 word white paper, right? And, and use that to hook people into it. But 
you have often been paraphrased as saying, it doesn't have to be high tech to be high impact. So we see this a lot in supply chain that some of that which is old is new again. And, and because it is more cost effective, things like RFID, which is inarguably older tech, is coming back into vogue. And now that it's much lower priced, it's much more distributable, more scalable, as you like to say, across the industry. What sorts of tech and sorts of impact are you seeing from things that aren't necessarily high tech? Yeah, no, I, th I think a couple of examples of that. So I'll, I'll probably use the phrase kind of turning base metal into gold. I, I like that because I think it kind of describes it really. But you know, take our phones, for example. Yeah. How many times we change those and we, we upgrade them and we have the new model or whatever else. So one project I've been involved in in India and a few other countries is about how to, to reuse and give new life to, to, that, to that particular device. So we were involved in a big literacy project, as an example. So there were families where literacy ran through families across, say, three or four generations. And we mm. used the phone, to older non-smartphones this was, uh, repurposed them with cloud technologies. You don't even need some of the internet barriers that, that, that were in there in the past. And effectively, the phone becomes the conduit between mum and dad and the children. So mm. it didn't matter if the parents still couldn't read themselves. The phone was that conduit between it. So it took away some of the taboos around reading, for example, and it became the most positive thing you can ever imagine. And so for the first time, like mum and dad can read their kids' stories at nighttime. And it was a beautiful thing. And this is tech that could be like four or five years old, repurposed, given new life, and is making a huge difference and you know, taking away one of those barriers to change and changing their life. And you know, education is the route to so many things. If you've got those foundational skills in reading and, and obviously writing and things like that, you can go on to do so many other things. So it was hugely, hugely beneficial and a completely different example, thinking maybe around the pandemic experience. A lot of organizations have got a lot of legacy technology and often that's referred to more from the point of view of things like technical debt. Right. It's a bad, you know, it's bad stuff. It's stuff that doesn't allow us to move forward. But the other thing I've seen quite a lot of, and a few organizations have led the way there, um, developing, for example, upcycle centers, where you can either, you know, either use that and put it back to good use, or you can extend the life of assets. Um, there's been some really interesting work there. So rather than, so I think sometimes with sustainability, we look at that bottom 1%. So it's all about recycling right at the end. But actually, there's so much more we can do to that. So what right. I'm seeing is some really exciting things about looking at sustainability from a whole life cycle point of view, extending the life of assets, things around development of consumption models and things like that as well. But some really good stuff to look out for there about giving new life, repurposing older tech, which I think is going to be the way to go for the future. So can you give me an example of that? I, I mean, I, I think I have a vision in my mind, but I'd love to see what you're seeing right now. You're way closer to it than I am. Yeah, well, what, what, one example, I, I don't want to pick out a particular organisation, but they, they've, um, they're, in, in, they're based in Scotland and they've got an incredible, well, I don't know, the size of probably 10 football pitches to give you kind of a picture of it. And they wow. literally get every component out of the technology you could imagine. So think about that with the, the computers we're using there, how many minerals and metals are contained in there? What right. can you do with that? You know, in an, another example as well, which I probably can mention because this is non for profit. So, um, so Dell is an example. They've worked with a partner organization in India. So, if you look at climate damage, pollution is a huge problem um, in many city right. centers. And what they did was they helped partner with a local startup. So, it's a great example of you know, big corporate organization partnering with a burgeoning startup and doing something powerful together, which I think is incredible. And they created a device that took the extracted, uh, the soot basically out of diesel exhaust and from other types of kit as well, used that, repurposed it, made it into paint. And then that paint became the packaging design for all the computer shipments. So that's one example. The sustainability wow. one um, is Earthskin in Scotland is another example of that, which is HBE, which is based on a circular economy model and they can, they can basically, the level of reuse is extraordinary in terms of percentage. I've never seen anything like it. So, so many organizations there are leading the way on giving new life, which can support customers to incrementally invest, so that, you know, can help people manage a difficult pandemic experience, rather hold back on innovation. They can kind of use what they've got and repurpose it, um, but equally to tackle the biggest problems of our time. So big organizations, startup, tackling a major challenge and helping it to scale which is normally the sticking point, you know, for all startups, isn't it? How do you get to that scaling point? Well, bringing that talent, that infrastructure together, amazing, and putting it as part of the life cycle of that product design. 
So, so many examples of that. And I've got a, a new book that comes out later in the year and, we, and it's all non-for-profit in terms of funds and things. But that's highlighting some of these case studies as well and trying to bring them to life because my aim is to encourage other people to do the same, you know, so you can, you can do this, you can get involved. Um, and there's lots of pragmatic ways to make stuff happen. So, yeah, I want to bring some of those stories to life. The people behind the tech, so to speak. So I have a deeply personal question to ask you. You used in your TEDx talk, Dare to Do, as part of your as part of your discussion, which I think is a, an incredible call to action and very inspirational. And that particular part of the particular part of your discussion was incredibly inspirational. But and this could cause a riot in North London. I, I, I'm aware. I'm holding um, on to <laughs> I'm a I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan, and of course the the motto of Tottenham Hotspur is to dare is to do. So I'm hopeful that you're not. An Arsenal fan, so we can continue to talk. So we're okay. I, I was hovering over my button there. So do I have to end the call? But no, we're, we're safe. We're all safe. So no, I'm a, I'm a Saints fan. So Southampton FC is, okay. is my club. But yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we're we're safe. We, we've actually helped you um, quite a few times with yes, thank you. Yeah, skills. You have there. dared. Yeah, you have dared to do to send us folks who to dare to do. Absolutely. Yeah, but but talk about that that theme a little bit. I mean. I think some people are, they're constrained, right? They struggle with how to get started or how to do, right? They really want to, but tell us a little bit about that call to action. Yeah, I, I think, I, again, people want to, to help. They want to get involved. And I think that barrier can be, I just haven't got, there's certainly the problems in the world can seem really huge. And you mentioned about kind of information overload. And you know, mm. I know people who don't want to turn the news on anymore at all, because it's just so overwhelming. And you think, how can I, as an individual person, what on earth can I do to help to help with that? So try right. and give people ways to get involved, like locally or different things for different people. But you know, as an example, I, I used to, I used to be CTO at a tele, tele, big telephone um, com company, and one of the things we brought to bear this is quite early days of app development, and we built an app that was all around donating bite-sized pieces of time to your local community and kind of matching your passion areas, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So an environment it could be around education whatever it might be and we we built that from scratch it was one of the first ones of its time but that was to show that you don't have to you know give like a week or a month it could be that you've got an hour on a friday on a regular basis or it could be that something turns up you know something gets cancelled on a tuesday afternoon is there something available to match to fit so that was one of the first things we did and again it was like changing that narrative because again i think a lot of people think well i can't possibly do that because I, I i can't be available then i can't guarantee this but it's to show there can be lots of flexible ways to get involved in volunteering and it can be matched in your local area or it could be you know online mentoring we do a lot of that with, with my foundation partnering with organizations and doing talent development within partnerships etc cetera, etc cetera. there's so many ways to make things happen and it's about breaking down those barriers and showing really clear ways to get involved so many people want to you know and it's incredibly yeah. rewarding I do. Mentoring in particular is one of the most rewarding things you can ever do. It's just absolutely awesome. I, I love doing that. Um, and yes, yeah, so taking away the barriers to actually take part in stuff and also giving people the confidence to get involved as well. There's so many people I know who've got amazing skills, but don't want to necessarily talk about them and don't value that they have those skills to share. So it's also right. about that aspect as well and showing, hey, you're worth it, you know, and you and your, your, your stories are worth one on one to share. So we also work at it from that point of view as well. So that's really, really important, I think. Yeah, that's fantastic. Two things that makes me think of. One, we just, our very first Tequila Sunrise live stream of the year was an encouragement to people at, right after the holidays. So many people, you know, are interested in this Give Forward initiative and how do I do it? How do I get started? And, you know, we sort of coined kind of a three-pronged attack, right? It's give simple, right? Give small and give now. So I'm a sailor and some ancient people who encourage people to take up sailing for life did sort of a similar thing. Go simple, go small, go now. So the goal, you know, the goal is to make it easy for people. And as you said, find a moment, find a gift, find an opportunity and just do it, right? Just the simplest thing, give a, do give a shilling to someone on the street or whatever. So, because they probably need it more than you do regardless. Exactly. So, right. The and the effect of all of this is huge then, isn't it? If every yeah. single person is doing something around that, the cumulative effect of that is way there's a contagion of change that's incredibly positive 
rather than the other form of contagion that, we, that we've had over the last year or so. So it's helping people to get involved in that and also to feel confident in actually doing so. I think that part sometimes is underlooked in terms of the wealth of talent that's actually out there. Yeah, I agree. And I think you, I think you have to embrace the joy as you clearly do. You have to embrace the joy that giving gives you. It's You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel bad about recognizing that giving, you know, the saying is, of course, you get tenfold what you give. And that is, that has been my experience 100% of the time. How about you? I couldn't right? It's more. okay to let that light you up. And clearly it does you. I mean, yeah, it does. Yeah. It's, it's my biggest fire. Yeah. Absolutely. No question. You know, I've, I've got like three mentoring calls later on this evening and one of them's at midnight and I don't mind at all because it's the most energizing thing you can imagine. And when you see someone grow and develop and have that confidence and you see what they go on to do, it's incredibly, it's a wonderful thing. And it's a real, I think it feels a real privilege to be, to be frank about it, to be able to do activities like that it's it's an absolute joy so yeah I, I love that and I also love at the moment how some of these things are resonating more and more with people and I'm getting mm -hmm. asked more and more about how can I get involved in this I want to do it it's, it's really lovely it feels like there's a real genuine resonation around around these areas at the moment and that's a joyful thing it's kind of yeah it could, could be more music to my ears frankly yeah <laughs> yeah I agree I think that's and what you're doing is amazing so before we wrap up I know you have some initiatives that I that we want to talk about you recently created a scholarship as well yes. so share yes. about some of the other things we haven't talked about i feel oh, like it's a long way oh thanks Greg. i appreciate that yes yeah, so i think what i'd say to, to people watching and things and this covers quite a few of the areas we've talked about so it's it's a way to get involved if you want to to you know, share some of your time and your experience and things like that but equally, it's an opportunity for some, somebody you might know. It could be your son and daughter. It could be somebody in your community. It could be any, anything like that. So it's a scholarship to help people build their skill sets around technology, but also more broadly. So around things like the STEAM skills I was talking about. So around emotional intelligence, skills confidence, problem solving. So it's that really holistic mix of skill sets. There's partner time with different organizations that are involved. So you've got hands-on yeah. practical experience. And there's things that are completely online, but there'll be something in your local community as well. So it's a really holistic mix. So we're launching that on March the 8th. So it's on International Women's Day, but also just to stress, it is about diversity of experience as well. So everyone is welcome from every background and it's for boys and girls and it's for older adults as, as well. So just to stress that aspect as well, it's truly about diversity of experience. Um, and we're also launching a new 365 initiative as well. So if you've got anyone, and it could be yourself as well, so feel free to nominate yourself. Because again, I think a lot of people, myself included, I never nominate myself for things. And I think a lot of very British things, but a lot of people feel, feel like that. We're doing things around showcasing people in different types of tech careers as well. And so you could be the CEO, you could be in your first role in an organization that really doesn't matter. I want something that showcases so somebody can think, hey, this could be me, you know. And so it's very cross-sectoral, different roles, showcasing what you're doing. And we're giving a light on that, not just on one day of the year, for every day of the year. So that wow. is going to be launched on the 8th as well. So it's very touch and feel. And yeah, it's going to bring these subjects to life, I think, as well. So yeah, please stay tuned to that. And if you want to get involved, my, yeah, my door is very much open to you know, collaborate and discuss. And whichever side you're on in terms of donating time or hopefully, you know, benefiting from the scholarship, whichever way. Yeah, it'd be lovely to talk more. Outstanding. I love all these initiatives. Frankly, I don't know how you do it. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't sleep so much as I should. But there you go. <laughs> I needed Good. tequila. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that's going to help you sleep more, not yes. less. Yes. But that's when you want to sleep, it will definitely help. There you are. Absolutely. I mean, I think Aaron, who, welcome, Aaron, by the way, I haven't seen you lately, but that feeling of giving is awesome. I think we all can acknowledge that. Absolutely. Should. Yeah. Frankly, right? And then, of course, we've got Scott. You have motivated Scott Luton. He is going to crash through walls here. So love that. Absolutely. Break down those barriers. Perfect. Love it. So I have a feeling we could be opening Pandora's box here. And I know you already have tens or and in some cases hundreds of thousands of followers already. But if someone wants to connect with you, maybe learn a little bit more about what you're involved with or just follow what you're doing, how can they do that? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, great question. So I think probably the easiest one, because um, I am in quite a few places, and as we kind of said, with, with different hats and things. But so the easiest one probably would be Twitter, at Sally Eve. So really simple with my name and LinkedIn as well, under, under Sally Eve as well, because there everything will be there. And in terms of new updates, et cetera, 
they'll be on both those channels consistently. But there's also, you know, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, etc., and dedicated websites to these initiatives as well. So, but if you follow the Twitter and the LinkedIn, you won't miss any of the updates then. So that's probably the probably the easiest way to do it. <laughs> Outstanding. All right. Is there anything, any kind of final thought you want to leave our community with? I just want to say really about coming you know, coming together. Your community is awesome. I love it. I love the way you chat about things. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And there's real warmth and genuine feeling here, which is fantastic. So yeah, I think my kind of closing night is to, to be positive, to keep this energy, to keep coming together. There are ways you can get involved. You can make a difference. And to, to look at the future you know, positively with that kind of ethos. And you know, anybody who'd like to collaborate around these things, yeah, I'd love to. I really would. It's, it's my passion. So yeah, thank you very much for having me, really, more than anything else. It's been absolute joy i don't know where the time's gone because that just whizzed <laughs> i know i feel like we need to light up another hour but i know your schedule is probably busier than ours it is contagious the the positivity that you bring you can see it on your face you can see it in the way that you speak and again i want to encourage everyone to check out sally's ted talk and any of the other initiatives that she's working on do get a look at those it is really really inspiring and i thank you for spending time with us i really my really appreciate it. All right. We're going to wrap up here with Dr. Sally Eves, literally CEO of everything, an incredible tech mind. And, you know, and I want to acknowledge, too, that this is as much about maybe more about people than technology. We call it tech for good, but it's clearly tech for the good of people. So I appreciate the human connection there and and what you are doing to help people help people improve their lives around the world. Thank All right. So let me wrap this up. And. Thank you again, and we will hopefully talk with you soon. My pleasure. Thank you, Greg. Right. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sally. Tequila Sunrise is part of the Supply Chain Now Network, the voice of supply chain featuring the people, technologies, best practices, and key issues in the industry. And hey, listen up. To build your supply chain knowledge, listen to, get this, Supply Chain is Boring, where Chris Barnes connects you to the who's who that got supply chain where we are, point us to where we're going, and take us to the next level. Or check out This Week in Business History with Supply Chain Now's own Scott Luton to learn more about everyday things you may take for granted and pick up quick insights you can use as inspiration and conversation starters. Our Logistics with Purpose series puts a spotlight on inspiring and successful organizations that give first, give forward as their business model. If you're interested in transportation, freight, and logistics, have a listen to the Logistics and Beyond series with the Adapt and Thrive Mindset Sherpa, Jamin Alvidrez, and also check out Tech Talk, hosted by industry vet and Atlanta's own Corinne Bursa supply chain pro to know of 2020 where corinne discusses the people processes and technology of digital supply chain for sponsorship information on tequila sunrise or any supply chain now show dm me on twitter or instagram at gregory s white or email me at greg at supplychainnow.com thanks again for spending your time with me and remember acknowledge reality but never be bound by it <laughs>